Let's open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 6 that we're going through on Sunday mornings and Revelation we did 8 and 9 last Wednesday. I really encourage you as we make our way through Daniel to take in the Wednesday Bible study as they do dovetail and you cannot understand Revelation without having a good understanding of the book of Daniel. Before I read our text that Paul read for us this morning, I want to go to the last verse of chapter 5, because as we enter chapter 6, remember that the Lord, through the vision of the metallic image, that it would go from gold to silver. So we read in the last verse of chapter 5, after Belshazzar the king, Babylonian, the head of gold, is now conquered, and Darius and the Mede received the kingdom about 62, being about 62 years old. So as we dive into chapter 6, we've um, left the Babylonian reign. And um, I'd like to go back and also remind you the last words of King Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest of all these kings, of chapter 4, the last verse, and those who walk in pride, he's able to abase. So as we look at our text this morning, realize that we've gone from the Babylonian Empire to the um, Empire of the Medes and the Persians. Let's pick it up in verse 10 through 15. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room with his window open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times. And prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then his men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king, and they spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within thirty days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter or change. So they answered and said before the king, and I'm going to emphasize the word that here, that Daniel, they have a problem with him obviously, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard to you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And when the king heard these words, he was greatly displeased with himself. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which, which the king has established can be changed. This morning... Um, I'd like to take a look at uh, Daniel chapter 6. We'll go through the whole chapter. Um, But three different people, one is a group of people. First of all, we'll look at Daniel. Secondly, the men who were jealous of Daniel and how Daniel ends up in this position. And then King Darius himself. Uh, We need to go back to the first three verses to understand uh, how this decree came about. So we find in verse 1 of chapter 6 that it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 uh, satraps to be over the whole kingdom. These would be politicians, governors, rulers, So remember, this is a worldwide empire. And there's 120 people in regional positions that um, he has set in verse 2, three governors, and over these, now he narrows it down for an oversight sort of position, three governors, and of whom Daniel was one, so that the king... um, and the, and the satraps might give an account to him. 
so that the king would suffer no loss. Darius trusted Daniel completely. Then Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Now, put yourself in a position of the other two. Uh, the king is bouncing around the idea that he's, Daniel has such an incredible gift of administrations and oversight and delegation and all of it that it's just a no-brainer for, for Darius to say, Daniel's a man, and I'm going to promote him over the other two. Now we read in verse 4, 4 through 9, So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we're not going to find any charges against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps um, thronged before the king and said to him, Now, King Darius, live forever. Let's start out with a little flattery. All the governors in the, of the kingdoms, administrators, the satraps, the counselors, advisors, well, we've been talking and we consulted together and we thought, a royal statute uh, to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god uh, or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed, and this is important, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter and put yourself in Darius's place. Now they, they want to make a decree that nobody acknowledges any other god or any other person, any other administrator, governor, etc., etc., except you. Well, I could just see his chest go right out just like that. And he says, that sounds like a pretty good idea. And therefore, King Darius signed the written decree, not knowing it's a trap. He's getting set up because he highly favors and loves Daniel. And he doesn't realize that these characters are jealous. Um, They seek to find fault with Daniel because he is elevated into a position and they're not. So, you know, I don't know if I've ever gave a study just on jealousy, but a good portion of our study this morning is going to be about this human nature, this tendency that is in everyone to some degree or another, what the scriptures have to say about it, and just what is the final outcome for anyone who is jealous or is offended, and then to take matters into their own hands to find fault and to actually go after that individual. That's what these guys are doing. And so this morning, let's look at a couple of others who also had issues with jealousy and uh, didn't like and were not content with the position they held. They wanted another one. Jealousy. Where does it come from? That's where I'd like to start this morning. So if you would, please, would you open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 14. There was no higher position The Bible teaches different degrees of hierarchy in the angelic realm. There's powers and principalities and there's cherubim. And the two that are, three that are mentioned are Lucifer, Michael, and Gabriel. All angels are male, according to the scriptures. And the one that evidently had the most prominent, and the Bible says was the most beautiful creature ever made, was Lucifer. And if you're in Isaiah chapter 14, it begins with the question, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How is it that you're cut down to the ground? Um, It makes me think of Nebuchadnezzar saying, those who walk in pride, he is able to cut down to the ground. You who weaken the nations, have you said on your heart, 
I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. On the farther side of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Here is jealousy. The one who is being worshipped is none other than these four cherubim who continually day and night say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And they continually worshipped him. And Lucifer, perfect in beauty and full of knowledge, witnesses this for who knows how long. We know they're created. They're not eternal beings. They had a beginning. Lucifer had a beginning. And he had the most prominent position, okay? And yet he was not content with his position. So what does he do? Somehow, some way, we'll learn out somehow, he actually manipulated, just like these men in Daniel, everybody else to have a rebellion against the God of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, and one-third of the angelic realm were deceived and cast to earth, and they're known as the demons of today. Now, if you were with us on Wednesday, um, we were in Daniel, uh, Revelation 9. If you weren't here, please pick up the CD. It's, it's, it really, guys, is one of the weirdest chapters you're ever going to read. And it talks about the fate, what jealousy can do when you're not content with your position and you seek to manipulate conditions such so that there's actually a rebellion. And in, in the case with, with um, Darius and Daniel, well, Darius was set up. This was all behind-the-door stuff going on for one reason. They were jealous. Daniel was promoted. They weren't. And um, they sought to find fault with Daniel. How do we get rid of this guy? All right, let me take one more example this morning. That's the origin of jealousy. None other than the most beautiful creature that ever lived. Let's turn to Second Samuel. I'll only use two examples. There's many that I could have used this morning. For sake of time, I'm just going to use two. David loved Absalom in all of his heart. Absalom was put into exile because he had murdered his brother because his brother raped his sister. And so he was in Hebron for a while, I think three years, if memory serves right. <clears throat> but in Second Samuel chapter 15, he's, he's now back, and uh, he's returned. Uh, yeah, he was there for three years back in chapter 13. Um, let's pick it up in verse 1. And it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. Uh, The gate is where all business and transactions took place. So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, well, what, what city are you from? Striking up a conversation, a little flattery there. And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of, of Israel. And then Absalom would say to him, look, you got a good case here and right, but there's no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I were made judge in the land. And Everyone who had a suit or cause would come to me. I'd give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near him to bow down to him, that he would hold out his hand, take him and kiss him. Talk about buttering up, man. And in this manner, Absalom acted toward all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. Notice this, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. What's up here? He's not content. He is willing if necessary so that he can be king if it's necessary 
to kill his own father, King David, for those of you who want who know the rest of the story. As we go through this, I want in each case to show the fate and the, the red flags and the warnings for those of us that deal and have this tendency for self-promotion, finding fault, or are jealous because somebody was elevated and we didn't get the job or the position. The fate of, if you go to chapter 18, um, David gave explicit instructions when Absalom was on the run. He said, be careful, Joab. Make sure no harm comes to my son Absalom. That was the order. But Absalom's on the run. And we find in chapter 18, picking it up in verse 9, um, David, uh, Absalom's on the run from the servants of David, met them. Absalom rode on a mule. The mule went under the thick bough of a great terebinth tree, that's an oak, and his head caught in the terebinth so that he was hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule which was under him went away. I, I hope we get to see this someday. Let me back up and tell you a little bit about Absalom. He said he was extremely good looking. He cut his hair once a year, and then they would weigh it. And I forget, like five pounds of hair or something like that. So evidently by this time he hadn't had his hair cut that year, and I could just see him on his mule going through this oak forest, hair flying, and all of a sudden he just gets wrapped up, and he's sitting there hanging by his hair, and certain men, uh, verse 10, saw it, and they told Joab. And they said, we saw Absalom hanging in a tree. And so Joab said to him and told them, you just saw him, explanation point. Why didn't you strike him to the ground? I would have given you 10 shekels of silver and a belt. But the men said to Joab, though you were to give us a 1,000 shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded that you and Abishai and uh, Atiah, um, saying, Beware, lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise, I would have dealt falsely against my own life. For there is nothing hidden from the king, and you yourself would have set yourself against me. Then Joab said, I can't linger you with you guys. And he took three spears in his hand, thrust him through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the tree. And the ten men who bore Jacob's armor surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. What's your point, Dwight? That's what happens when jealousy takes over, when self-ambition to the point of willing to kill his own father, but David's love for Absalom was such that he gave strict instructions, hands off, my boy. Bring him back, but you make sure that, well, Joab um, was his own man and had not respect for David to heed his words. So he wanted a position. What was the result? The fate? The fate is he was killed by Joab. The root of it again is this 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 need that people have to be recognized. Um, sometimes we call it climbing the corporate ladder. Sometimes we call it keeping up with the Joneses. And it can be an ongoing thing that the Bible clearly, clearly always warns us against these issues and this particular temperament in particular. This need to be adored this need to be worshipped. The scribes and Pharisees were full of it in that way. Satan wanted, wants to be worshipped so badly that when Jesus was baptized, first he was 40 days being tempted by Satan in the wilderness after he was baptized. But one of the temptations that Lucifer brought to Jesus, the devil said to him in Luke 4, to Jesus, he says, all this power I will give you and the glory for them, for that is delivered to me. And he is called the God of this world. The Lord does not dispute what he just said. 
and to whomsoever I will give it. I can give it to anybody that I want to. If you therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. He wants and needs that recognition of worship. Well, the Lord rebuked him. said, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou worship. Get behind me, Satan. And put him in his place. Eventually, this is past tense. Everything we've read up to this far is history. But there is coming a time that Paul, writing to Thessalonians, talks about. This is one of the places also where we're going to tie in this morning, the book of Revelation and in the book of Daniel. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, let me just do a little sidetrack here. He was there for three weeks, okay? And he taught them every major Bible doctrine, including the rapture and all the other doctrines in a three-week period of time. Why are you telling us that way? Because I think Bible prophecy is one of the best, if, you're, if we're fishers of men, I believe it's one of the best baits we got. So you want to give me an amen on that? Especially with what's going on in the world today. People want to know. And um, I know that someday he's going to have his time when all the world will worship the devil. That's what he's always wanted. And the Bible teaches that that's what's going to happen. First of all, Paul, writing to these three-week-old Christians, I'm quoting 2 Thessalonians 2.3. He says, let no one deceive you by any means. That day shall not come unless the falling away comes first, and a man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And now let me just stop there and do another little sidetrack. Eric Barger called yesterday, and we talked for a good half an hour, 45 minutes, about everything under the sun. And he's going to be here for the prophecy conference in the fall. And we, we got sidetracked on this verse, and he, he asked, um, uh, I know it, he was quoting uh, Dr. Tommy Ice. Um, I think Tommy Ice and Arnold Fruchenbaum are really the leading guys in the country when it comes to um, knowledge of Bible prophecy, especially in the Hebrew and in the Greek. But anyway, this falling away can, can have two meanings. And he says, Dwight, what, which side are you on in this one? I says, I'm not. I think Tommy could be right where the falling away here is a reference to the rapture. He takes that position. Um, Eric takes a position more that it is apostasy or false doctrine. And um, I said, I would not be dogmatic on either one. Matter of fact, I believe both are true. And so for that, he's saying I delivered to you I will give it, uh, I'm sorry, um, now let me reread it so it makes sense what it just said. Let no one deceive you, church, by any means, for that day, we're, we're coming, that day would be the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, so that he is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, this is a reference to the Antichrist. But it also, we find out that the world is not only going to worship the Antichrist. Turn with me to Revelation 13. Look at verse 4. There's assassination attempt on this man, evidently successful. But he comes back to life. And verse 3 says, I saw, this would be the head of the Antichrist, had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. Now, this is the Antichrist. So they worshipped the dragon. Now, the dragon here is Lucifer. So he finally gets what he has always wanted. Um, And... I believe, possessing this man who gave him his authority and they worshiped the beast, saying, who's like the beast and who's able to make war with him? Uh, Let's skip over to verse 15 where he makes an image. All right, let's connect the dots. What's Daniel all about? Well, an image that if you don't bow down to it, you're going to get killed. And now we have, in Revelation, we have in 
verse 15, an, an image. And power was given life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Well, what was Nebuchadnezzar's decree? Either you bow down or you die, thrown into the fiery furnace. And again, we want to be able to connect the dots that are there. All right, so he finally, uh, the last part of chapter 12, the first verse 7, Lucifer is in heaven. By the end of verse 12, he's been cast to the earth, and he says he knows he only has a short time. He only has three and a half years. But for three and a half years, um, Satan will have his way, he will have his season, and he will have what he's always wanted, to be worshipped. And um, I want to not spend too much time here. Let's look at his fate. Turn to Revelation 20 and look at verse 10. At the end of the battle of Armageddon, Jesus returns. Who is this whose garments are stained with blood, who's coming out of Basra? Well, that's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ returning from the battle of Armageddon. When he defeats the nations that come against him, that's Psalm 2, he immediately takes the false prophet and the beast and they're cast alive into the lake of fire. But Satan isn't. Satan is bound for a thousand years. And after the thousand years, he's released. Well, <laughs> the question here is, if you got the devil and you got him bound, why not just get rid of him right then and there? No. If we're going to spend eternity um, with God, once, once the thousand years is over, and now the thousand years is over, we have the great white throne judgment. There have been many millions of people that have been born during this thousand-year reign. They have a free will. But remember, the Bible says the Lord is ruling with a rod of iron. He's enforcing righteousness. The Bible says you're going to rule and reign with him during that period of time. But now, 21 and 22, we're entering into eternity. Very little is said about eternity. But the only thing that the Lord's concerned about is do you really want to be there? Do you really love me? Or do you want to do your own thing? So the reason that Lucifer is bound is to create an alternative choice, just like in the Garden of Eden. The Lord laid out the instructions. They walked with God. Everything was fine until an alternative um, was given. And you know the story. Eve was tempted, but it was necessary for Satan to be there to do the tempting. Everybody following me so far? Okay, so same thing here. Um, we find that he deceives. He goes out to the breadths of um, the world, and they have a multitude that actually go with him. I imagine he probably used the same tactics that he did with the angels in heaven because they uh, rebel, and the Lord takes short note of, notice of them. And uh, they're devoured in a moment from heaven. Now verse 10. The fate of jealousy and not being content. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I say amen, 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 amen. This guy's given me a lot of trouble over my life. I don't know about you. But if you're a Christian born again, you're a threat to him. And, um, but his fate, and here's the thing, I've just mentioned all the bad guys. No one is exempt for having covetousness, jealousy, uh, we're prone to self-promotion, that's human nature. That's part of the, the saying when Paul said, nothing good dwells in you, well that's one of the nothing good things. Even the disciples um, wanted to be elevated over the other disciples. I'm quoting from Matthew 20, and I'm talking about James and John, the sons of thunder. They were brothers. They got mom to go talk to Jesus. 
about their position. Now, as far as they're concerned, Jesus is the Messiah. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. So the buzz with the boys is basically, kingdom's here. Uh, I wonder what my role is going to be. Can you hear him talking behind closed doors? Lord's going to Jerusalem. We're his followers. I mean, we're the cabinet, but I think I want to be prime minister. What about you, John? Uh, Secretary of State. I can just hear this thing going on. So in Matthew 20, 20, then the mother of Zebedee, the sons, said to him, Jesus, with her sons, kneeling down and asking something of him. And he said to her, what you wish, she said, would you grant that these two sons of mine, one sit at your right hand and the other at the left in your kingdom? Now, what was the result? Because in verse 24, there's, there is an effect on the other ten. It tells us when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased. Well, before this, was there a problem? No, they, they, were, they hung, they loved on each other, everything was cool. Until what? Until these two guys thought, I think I'd rather have a higher position than the rest of the ten. And it caused a riff. Um, and the word greatly displeased is what the Bible used with these two brothers. And then the Lord goes on and says, But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they like to lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I'm going to do something that's going to trouble you and it's going to trouble me, but because people have gotten away from the teachings of the Bible, when it comes to the area of spiritual gifts and baptism, it's just getting weirder by the day. And the only way that I can effectively communicate this to our fellowship and those watching live stream this morning is I just took some of the stuff that you may be aware that's going out out there and what's how weird it really is getting in some places. I want to preface these video clips only can take a minute or so. Um, I want to preface it by saying the first one we're going to see is a baptism. We have a baptism coming up at... Um, Luke and Pat's in a couple weeks, just two weeks from today, right, guys? Yeah. And um, I want to talk, just just touch on baptism. Uh, the Bible, the Lord only gave us two things that we would call, you call them sacraments or whatever. Uh, and one of them is baptism. He says, if you believe on me, I want you to be baptized. I don't want you to be ashamed of me. I want you to make a public statement that I am a Christian. And Jesus is the one that said, go into all the world, right? Preach the gospel, teaching them to observe all the things that I taught you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Clear enough? So if you've accepted Christ, you need to be baptized. Because Pastor Dwight says so? No. Because Jesus says so. Now, when we do it, we do it decently in an order. We have somebody give a testimony. We have worship. We have a Bible study. And then while people are getting baptized, we have the worship team in the background singing praise songs. So I'm telling you this because what I'm about to tell, what you're about to see next is how they're baptizing people today. So the first clip on baptism is, let's run it. This is Todd Bentley at one of his baptisms. Wild, untamed, untaught. Amen to that. I have one more before I comment. And that is the latest thing in uh, the Christian world today. They have their own TV station. Uh, The pastor's name is Brian Houston from Hillsong. And this is a a typical Sunday morning service. And I'll just run a little video clip of that. Just so that you know what's going on out there. 
New from Pastor Brian Houston, money. There's not one person in this building who doesn't need more money. And if you say, well, I don't need more money, then I would say you have a very poor outlook on life. You'll learn why you need more money. Because money is a tool that can accomplish phenomenal things. What money can do in your hand is bless, it can help, it can build, it can increase, it can bring vision, it can strengthen. You'll learn how to get more money. And you'll learn how to have wealth without having a love for money. Poor does not have to be permanent. All the answers here, you say, well, you know, how do you know that? Because why would the scripture say, let the poor say, I am rich? If it wasn't the will of God to break the power of poverty over people's life. I'm going to quote at this time um, the importance of the gifts of the Spirit operating in the church. 12, 13, and 14 is the instructions that the Word of God gives us how to conduct ourselves when we gather together. I'm quoting 1 Corinthians 14, 39. Therefore, brethren, I want you to desire spiritual gifts and do not forbid to speak in tongues. I want to preface that by saying, but he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 14, don't let it be in a place where a non-believer might come in. Because if you speak in tongues and there's a non-believer in there, they're going to think you're crazy and they're going to turn around and walk out. So both Judy and I have the gift of tongues, but we don't do it in church because of what the scripture says. The scripture, well, I just couldn't help it. Like this guy getting baptized, he just couldn't help it. He was just getting so filled with the spirit. No, this is called a psych job. This is called pumping you up. It's what motivational speakers do. And then the last thing it says In verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. Well, was that decent and was that in order? I mean, can you imagine me doing that, taking my Bible right now and saying, Brando! I just shocked a lot of people who thought I'd never do that. Is your eyes? Focused on the Lord when that happens? No. When I went down to Fernando, all you were looking at was me. And that's what this is all about. It's self-promotion. It's jealousy. And people are going to it, uh, leaving what the Word of God clearly teaches about how a church service should be conducted, decently and in order. Do we have an order? Absolutely. We follow it every week. You can almost set your clock to it. And somebody better not sit in your pew, right? That's right. I know how you guys think. Things can get disorderly awfully quick if you're sitting and somebody somebody comes in. You'll get that look. Well, that's out there today, gang. The Bible says a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. What do you mean? You teach verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah? Will people listen to that? Oh, yeah, they will. If they're born again and they know the word of God, uh, matter of fact, once you've had that and had a taste of that, nothing else is going to satisfy. Amen? That's true. Nothing else will satisfy once you begin to connect the dots and things are done decently in order. And Paul clearly says you make sure it's in order because when I I see this, I, I think to myself, What non-believer would ever want to be a Christian? These guys are crazy. And I don't want any part of that. But there's something about coming in where you want to see Jesus. There's a man, when we come here, we want to see Jesus. We want to teach by teaching through the word and worshiping in spirit and truth, decently and in order. There's an Indian, his name is P.G. Matthew. Recently I had the privilege of visiting the city of Calcutta in eastern India, where I was invited to preach in William Carey's church at the Seculiar Road Baptist Church. While I waited to speak, I sat on an old, worn-out chair behind the pulpit. This was the chair Missionary Carey had used almost 200 years ago. As I sat there, I noticed a sign which was visible only to the person sitting in that chair. 
It would be like me looking at that clock that I'm the only one that can see. Because you guys are all pointing this way. And so there was something out there, and there was a sign that only that person sitting in the chair could see. And it said simply this, Sir, we would see Jesus. And whoever was behind the pulpit, and they got up to preach, they had to look out there. And, and what they were saying is, we don't want to see any of you. We want to see Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus. And that's the way it should be in every church. That we leave, that we've had it through the word, an encounter, um, and growth, where we know who gets the glory. And uh, woe to those who have alternative motives. Back to Daniel. Don't worry too much. That was the majority of the study. You should be home by one for sure. Okay. Um, Picking it up in verse 10, our text. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. He opened his windows towards Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, which was his custom since early days. So he waited. He he knew what was coming down. Anybody who breaks this is going to be thrown to the lions, but he waits. He makes sure that it's signed. And once it's signed, the rest of this we've read, um, these men who are fault finders, and jealous of Daniel's promotion, this would do him in because it can't be changed. What the king had signed, and um, the reason I had the gold is superior to silver, Nebuchadnezzar is superior to Darius. How so? Nebuchadnezzar could have changed his mind at any time. said, Daniel, don't worry about it. Not Darius. He couldn't do it. These guys knew it, that it was their law, so they trick him into signing this decree that he himself cannot override. So when he heard it, that's why the Bible said he was greatly displeased because he saw through it. I was set up. You guys set me up. And he tried to get Daniel off the hook, but they, verse 15, looked at him and said, Remember, Darius, that uh, that the law of the Medes and the Persians that... Uh, statue of the king established, it can't be changed even if you want it to. Daniel had to be thrown into the den of lions. So um, Daniel here disobeys the decree. I'll just give you one scripture about his, his prayer life as he is praying here. Peter was told in Acts 5, The religious leaders came to Peter and said, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Now you need to obey the laws of the land. You need to pay your taxes. You need to keep the speed limit. And when you don't, you get a ticket. You can't whine about it because you broke the law. Amen? Okay, so we we obey the laws of the land. But when they tell me that I can no longer preach the gospel, then I say, no, sorry, I have to obey God. So here's an exception. The law was given. In 1962, our government took prayer out of our school. Look how our nation has changed since 1962. Um <laughs> it makes me laugh to think that there's not prayer in school. Believe me, every time a test is given, there is prayer in school. <laughs> Jesus is teaching on prayer. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who is in secret will reward you openly. That's not all prayer. We have men's prayer. We have women's prayer. The Bible says wherever two or three are together, stand in agreement. So this is exclusive to your own personal prayer life. 
Don't make it a show. What I just showed you on the screen is a show. It's not a, a genuine work of the Holy Spirit. It's, ma- it's simply man manipulating a crowd. And that's... Um, the Lord goes on to say, but when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father in secret, for your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Matthew 6, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions. I think of the rosary. How many Hail Marys, how many are fathers? That's vain repetition. Uh, as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Matthew 11, therefore I say to you, Whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And then Proverbs 3, 6, in all of your ways. doesn't say some. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. So we're, in constant, we're, we're told to um, c- continual, continually be in prayer. All right, let's go back to Daniel, verses 11 through 15. We've gone through these, and here I've already explained it. The only thing I want to bring out here again, I've just mentioned, is that Nebuchadnezzar did what he wanted to. He raised up, he put down. He let you live or let you die. Darius is inferior, as silver is inferior to gold, and he does not have the same capacity. Now, 16 to 24, uh, we read, so they gave... The command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, with the signets of his lord, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. And now the king went to his palace, and he spent the night fasting. No music was brought before him. Also his sleep went from him, and he rose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. O happy day, I'm sure is what Darius was saying. He says this, he says, My God has sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I've done no wrong before you. Then the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel out of the den So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury, whatever, was found on him because he believed in his God. I just want to make one point here, and that is in regard to God sent his angel. I take that literally. Now, sending an angel, well, you know, about God sending angels and guardian angels. He sent one to George Bailey, after all named Clarence, if you remember correctly, so he could earn his wings. Okay, so that's Hollywood. But what about the scriptures? What does the scripture say about guardian angels? Turn with me to Acts 27. Acts 27, picking it up in verse 20. I'll set the background up here. We finished at men's prayer yesterday, Acts 26. Seeing that we're talking about prayer this morning, I encourage the guys. Prayer is the lifeblood of the church. It's your strength. The men I know the most and I'm probably the closest to in the fellowship are the men at men's prayer. I know their hearts. I know what they're going through. We pray for one another. We read the word together. Great time. Highlight of the week. So next week we're going to be in chapter 27. And Paul warns these guys about taking this trip this late in the year because of storms that come this time of year. But they go anyway. Um, But in verse 20, they run into this terrible storm, and it goes on and on and on. Verse 19, on the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our hands, 
Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. But after a long absence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. (laughs) I like that. And not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. Notice this. For there stood by me this night an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and whom I serve. I'm just going to stop and ask the question. Does the Bible teach that the Lord sends angels, in this case Paul, and he, he gives detailed instructions of what they must do in order to be saved. Um, we never know. Do you have a guardian angel? Hebrews 1 verse 14 tells us we do. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? Ministering spirits are angels. What do they do? They're sent forth to minister What does that mean? Well, you don't know when you could have been in a car accident and why when you were backing out of the driveway you ran over your kid's bike and it caused you to be 10 minutes late. Well, that 10 minutes might have saved your life. And there might have been an angel there kicking that bike into the driveway. You never know. And countless times that we don't see they're ministering to us and and probably saving us from some things. Here we're told that the angel of the Lord stood by me, of whom God I serve and belong. He said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you and all who sail with you. Now, he goes on to explain in verse 31, everything's going to be okay. We're going to lose the ship. But an angel of God said, everybody's going to make it. But here's the condition. Unless the men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. This was a terrible storm. They eventually broke ground. The ship fell apart, and everybody made it to shore exactly as the angel told Paul he would. Why do you go there, Dwight? Because it was an angel that shut the mouth of the lions. And they were a little... Pussycats with, with Daniel. He's probably petted him if he wanted to. And um, um, let's go back and read the next verse because, again, our study is about fault finders, self-promoters, and their fate. What is the fate of these fault finders? As soon as Daniel is let loose, verse 24 Then the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel. And he's thinking to himself, this law isn't going to be changed either. And they cast them into the den of lions. Then their children and their wives and their lions overpowered them and broke all their bones to pieces before they even came to the bottom of the pit. These, The angels said, we're out of here. And the lions took on their natural instinct, and they took out every one of those that were there. And that is the fate of these men who sought to promote themselves. This morning, as we look at the last verses here, 25 through 28, um, I want you to go back, first of all, to chapter 4, verse 1. Babylon, Babylonian Empire has come and now it's gone. But before Nebuchadnezzar leaves his term, this is what he says in first three verses. Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples, nations, and languages who dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. Now Darius tricked but nonetheless followed through with throwing Daniel in the lion's den. What does he have to say? In closing, then King Darius wrote, sounds familiar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. 
I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is a living a God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions, so that Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius until the reign of Cyrus the Persian? I'll close this morning with a question. This is a simple question. Are you content? Would you just let that settle in for a second? Are you content? Paul says it's something that has to be learned. I'm quoting Philippians 4.11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned that whatever state I am in to be content. Are you content? I'm not going to ask for hands or anything like that. But the study is a warning against those who take it upon themselves to promote themselves. When you see the outcome, they're always the losers. As a matter of fact, God says he, he hides himself from the, from the proud and he reveals himself to the humble. Then I said, we'd close? But I only said it once, right? Okay, so I get one more anyway. All right, I'm closing with this. This is one of my favorite wisdom for today from Pastor Chuck. It's only a couple of paragraphs. It's called Fault Finders and Healers. John 9. And the disciples asked Jesus, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And then Chuck says, when an accident occurs, two types of emergency vehicles arrive on the scene. The first to arrive are usually the police. They try to determine who's at fault. And if necessary, give a citation to the guilty party. The paramedics arrive next. They really have no concern at all who's at fault. They just want to alleviate the pain and the suffering. The disciples pass by a man born blind. Like policemen, they wanted to know immediately. They accessed the blame for the casualty. They wanted to know. Jesus declared that neither the parents nor the man was at fault, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him when Jesus healed him. God has called us to be paramedics rather than policemen. And I want to pause there and say, with the exception, don't take me wrong. We are to expose false doctrine. And clearly we're taught to test the spirits. Because in the last days there would be deceiving spirits that would bring in damnable doctrines. So when I say find fault... Uh, and I point out a false teaching, I'm not a fault finder. I'm a fruit inspector. You know the difference? You know, there's a difference. There's one's discernment and one's a, a condemning judgment. So don't misunderstand me. We are to bring these things to the light. I'm to warn you against Brian um, uh, Houston and the Benny Hens and these men. And if I don't do it, who is going to? And there's young people that are getting sucked into this. You know what's going to happen? They're going to get all psyched up for a whole year. And then they're going to see through it. And then they're going to go, been there, done that. I've tried Christianity. It's a sham. And they're going to come out the other end and they're going to be open up to something else. But if you're rooted and grounded in truth that doesn't change, you won't change. It's on a solid rock. That's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the deeper you go in the Bible, the deeper it gets and the more you're sure of what's happening. How do you look at human tragedy? Do you come in like policemen or like paramedics? Jesus said that God did not send him into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Often a person's life is shattered because they are reaping the consequences of their own rebellion against God. Do you shake your finger in their face and say, if you had not done this or that, you wouldn't be in this situation. Do you have your code book out citing them for their violation of the law? Or do you come as a paramedic seeking to bind up their wounds? Ours is not the responsibility of finding the reason for the suffering, but to seek to heal the damage that's been done, even as Jesus did. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, as we make our way through Daniel...
We thank you for a practical study of our human nature that we all wrestle with to some degree or another. Lord, help us be content, as Paul said. And for that person that's upset this morning because somebody at work got the position that they wanted, I pray it help them just be content and and um, let the Lord raise you up in his time. So we thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.